Good morning. We are in Mark chapter 6. And if you would, would you turn there? Next Sunday will be the last Sunday in Mark, and then we'll have four uh, Christmas-related uh, uh, sermons, and uh, they will all be very, very suitable. Should you have someone uh, in your life that you would uh, want to expose to the message of the gospel and you feel like they're ready uh, to experience a worship service, uh, all of them will be uh, clear uh, gospel messages. Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we uh, come into your presence, we know that you have given uh, your word to us, and it functions in many ways. It uh, teaches, instructs us, it exhorts us, it exposes us, it challenges us, it rebukes us. And so we pray, Lord, that you might fit us by the grace of your Spirit to receive it in all the manner in which you intend today. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you would, would you stand? We begin in verse uh, 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces into the fish. And those who ate of the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, 
For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. Please take your seats. Well, for nearly two years, my son had been inviting me to take a hike uh, with him near his college. And one fall day while he was uh, home, he asked again, we set a date for late October. Now, the weather at that time of year is unpredictable. It can be cold and rainy, but it was a lovely day for a hike. I picked him up at 2 o'clock and we drove to Cloudland Canyon State Park. And we hiked down to the falls, which are just a trickle, and then back up to hike around the canyon uh, rim. Uh, From the rim, the views are just extraordinary. They're just breathtaking. The leaves were changing. Uh, The trail was carpeted uh, with them. The smell of oak leaves under our feet brought back uh, wonderful childhood memories Uh, for me. Uh, The sky was blue, the sun was uh, brilliant, and the shadows on the canyon uh, walls uh, were extraordinary. And we enjoyed deep conversation. I had anticipated uh, having a a good time uh, to talk, but our conversation exceeded all my uh, expectations, even uh, my deepest uh, hopes. Dinner that night uh, with Rob was also uh, with his very serious girlfriend, uh, whom he's married to today. And I really was looking forward uh, to getting to know her over the meal. And, and it was a good time, but honestly, I was disappointed. I had hoped uh, for more. And isn't that how life is? We find deep pleasure and satisfaction in the afternoon, and it's gone in the evening. Sustained satisfaction's elusive. It it lands like a butterfly uh, on your hand, and you want to just make that moment last. You want to reach out and uh, grab a hold of that uh, butterfly. But, of course, it leaves. But still, we seek satisfaction. I want to go back to Cloudland Canyon and experience that day once again. And while the natural beauty of that canyon might be experienced the same time of year with the same weather, it's very unlikely that the intensity of pleasure and satisfaction that I had that day would be experienced again. We all seek satisfaction. The crowds who are following uh, Jesus are seeking from him what they think will satisfy them. So we want to see this morning what it is to find satisfaction in Christ, what it means to respond to who he is as he reveals himself, and the implications uh, for us in ministry. So the disciples have just returned uh, from a ministry tour in Galilee, and Jesus is keenly aware of their need uh, for rest. People have been coming and going uh, with such a frequency and intensity, they haven't even had time uh, to eat. They are 
in a desolate place, and the crowds have somehow uh, discerned where that would be. And they have met uh, Jesus and his band as they land on the shore. And Jesus, as he looks upon the crowd, is moved uh, with compassion. Uh, They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were leaderless. And so he begins to teach them. And as the shadows that day grow along, the disciples see a crisis developing. And so they go to Jesus and say, Master, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away so they can find something to eat. And Jesus looks at them and asks them to do what seems impossible. You give them something to eat. John, as he narrates this passage, tells us that Jesus did this to test them. And uh, their response is probably not unlike uh, what I would have responded that day. You know, a mixture perhaps of astonishment that I'd be asked and maybe a little cynicism. You know, we can't do that. Why, it would take a half a year's wages Uh, to buy something for these people to eat, and there is no place to buy in bulk around here. And so Jesus asked them, what do you have? And they discover they have five loaves and two fish. And he commands for them to settle uh, the crowd on the green grass into groups. And the disciples are probably growing more anxious as that takes place because they sense there's expectancy uh, in uh, the crowd. Jesus is making things worse by doing this. And then only disciples see what happens next. After a prayer blessing God for his provision, Jesus breaks the loaves. Everyone eats and is satisfied. No one goes away hungry. Everybody has their fill and 12 basketfuls of leftovers are taken up. And Mark tells us the crowd is composed of 5,000 men. He uses here a word that refers specifically uh, to men, and we should uh, surmise that there were more people present that day who had eaten than just that number. Let's be completely clear. This is not a miracle of sharing. Uh, This text is emphatic. It is a miracle of the miraculous feeding. The loaves are multiplied. Now, boys and girls, this is one of the most frequently found pictures in a, a children's story Bible. And it's usually pictured as families clustered around as if they were having a picnic uh, out in the green hills somewhere. But this is not a picnic. Uh, people in Jesus' day didn't go out uh, to desolate places and have picnics. Places like that were dangerous. Uh, you didn't go out and, and be out alone in the countryside like that. And um, Mark hints at something more when he tells us in verse 45, he's a very strong word when he says that Jesus made his disciples leave while he dismissed the crowd. And uh, John helps illumine what's happening when he writes, perceiving uh, that they were about to come and take him, that is Jesus, by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain to pray. 
A little background will, will help you just really understand the significance of those uh, two statements. Rural Galilee is a hotbed uh, for uh, revolution. It was the stronghold of the zealot uh, movement that was uh, founded in AD 6 by Judas the Galilean. And his two grandsons, Menachem and Eliezer, perished in the Battle of Masada, which was the last and final and climactic battle between uh, the Jewish people and the Romans. Galilee, in other words, is the cradle for freedom fighters. These are the people who dreamed of ridding Palestine uh, of foreign influence. Uh, people who thought the only good Roman is a dead Roman. And so the crowd, there are some in the crowd who are sizing up Jesus uh, as whether he is the revolutionary figure, the charismatic leader uh, that they need to galvanize the people. The phrase, like a sheep without a shepherd, is a quote from the book of Numbers. It's Moses' observation about the people of God that leads him to the appointment of Joshua. The very word shepherd in the ancient uh, world uh, was the most common way of talking about a king. A king was someone who shepherded his people, who protected his people, who led them out like Joshua uh, in, uh, to battle. And so when you have this background, then what John writes makes perfect sense. The people intended to come uh, and uh, by force make him king. And even the disciples are not uh, immune from this impulse. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus sends them away before he sends the crowds away. This crowd, in other words, composed of unhappy people. These people are dissatisfied with the status uh, quo. Uh, they are seeking uh, in Jesus what they think will satisfy them. But Jesus is not going to be captured by their agenda. He's offering them instead something far better. Now there are four big, bold, biblical echoes in this passage uh, that reveal just what it is that Jesus has to offer uh, them. And um, uh, the Jewish disciples, and in fact any Jewish reader of this uh, story, uh, would have heard at least one, if not uh, most, of these echoes. The first echo is of Moses. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus feeds the people with teaching from God and bread uh, from heaven. And like Moses, uh, he organizes the people uh, so that they can be cared for. And Jesus provides rest for them in this desolate place, even as uh, Moses did. The Psalm, Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and 4 reflect on uh, that. Uh, the second echo is that of Elisha. Jesus uh, uh, is, uh, in a very real way, reenacting a moment in the life and ministry of Elisha. Elisha said to his servant to feed all the prophets with just 20 loaves, uh, and his servant said, how can I set these before a hundred men? And Elijah says, thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Uh, they did. And that's what happens here. Jesus is the greater Elijah. 
The third echo is in the prophecy that Ezekiel gives in the 34th chapter. Ezekiel is sent with the message that God is displeased with Israel's leaders who didn't care for his flock. And he promised that he himself would uh, come and seek out his lost sheep and provide food for them that he would make them lie down in rich pastures. And in the prophecy, if you read through it carefully, you'll see that God speaks of his sending another David as the shepherd. And indeed, that shepherd has come in Jesus, the son of God, the son of David, to shepherd and care for God's people. And perhaps the biggest and easiest echo to see is that these words are a fulfillment of the 23rd uh, Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And so it is that Jesus completely satisfies those uh, who are there. And the inclusion of the uh, note about the green grass in this desolate place uh, is intentionally an echo of uh, the 23rd Psalm. You see, the crowds need nourishment, and Jesus gives them both spiritual and physical nourishment, and they're satisfied by it. Jesus gives them what they were really longing for, but not what they thought they wanted. Teaching followed by foods, a metaphor. It's a picture of the state of our world. Our world's a desolate place. It's a a desert. It's empty. And God intends to fill his creatures with himself, to meet the needs with his surplus, to expand their smallness with his greatness, to transform what's mundane in life to what is abundant. This all flows out of his compassion. We search for satisfaction, don't we? All of us. We hope to find it uh, today. We hope to find it before uh, night uh, comes. Um, But we'll only find lasting satisfaction uh, uh, in something other than what's created. You see, we're going to have to... we, We naturally tend to seek satisfaction in what's created. It might be in friendship. It might be in marriage. It might be in our families. It might be in the things that we possess. It might be in our our work. Any one of a number of things. And those are all good things. But they're all created things. And they will not satisfy the deepest hunger uh, within us. Jesus is moved to teach and feed the crowd because of his care, because of his compassion. And the fullest expression of that compassion uh, will take place in the cross. The kind of satisfaction that we seek can only be uh, met in a relationship with God. And you begin to experience that satisfaction uh, when you turn from seeking in and created things in Jesus. When you turn to Jesus and ask him to be the leader of your life, when you surrender control of your life, this is not just how you begin to experience satisfaction. This is how you continue to experience satisfaction in a relationship with God. You see, we're just drawn and drawn and drawn to created things to find our satisfaction uh, in them. And they will always leave us at some level dissatisfied. 
even the very highest and best uh, moments, like that memory uh, of a hike with my uh, son, uh, which will, I suppose will be one of the highlights of uh, that year that I have with him. But that doesn't last. Nothing else can last other uh, than Christ. And if you're miserable today, and you know Christ, if you are just uh, discontent, you're dissatisfied with your life, then I want to suggest to you that perhaps you need to examine whether it is in fact in something else that you're seeking your ultimate satisfaction, something besides Christ. Well, immediately after this meal, Jesus dismisses his disciples. And he has another reason besides protecting them from the desires of the crowd. He is orchestrating a a moment in which he is going to reveal himself uh, to them. Jesus uh, is going to summon them to respond in faith to his uh, self-revelation. Now, Jesus sends the boat across the lake, and then he dismisses the crowd and goes up on the mountain to pray. And there he's uh, praying. It's, it's quite late. He sees uh, uh, in, in a supernatural way that the disciples are struggling. He has sent them, in other words, into terrible conditions to cross uh, the lake. He knows Uh, that they're going to be out in the boat in the lake. This is the second storm uh, they encounter. And as they're struggling, he comes to them. It's between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. And when they see him, they are terrified. They have only one possible explanation. He's a ghost. And then he speaks and he climbs into the boat. The wind dies down and they are amazed. They are stunned. They are shocked. This is not faith. Uh, They simply can't believe what has taken uh, place. Jesus is revealing himself on the sea to them. This is an epiphany. Uh, Jesus, boys and girls, that means that Jesus is manifesting his identity uh, to them. He's walking on the lake, and any Jewish boy who'd paid attention in synagogue would have known that only God could walk on the water. Only God could walk on uh, the sea. There are many places, Psalm 77 is one of them, where that's said. And the phrase that Jesus intended to pass them by may seem puzzling. But this word, this little expression in the Old Testament is filled with spiritual force because when Moses is on Mount Sinai, it is God who passes by. He doesn't let Moses see him, but he passes by in an act of self-revelation. And similarly, on Horeb, God passes by uh, Elijah. When Jesus says, Take courage, it is I. He's not saying, don't be afraid because you know me. I'm not a ghost. No, what he's saying is, don't be afraid because I am God. 
that expression, I am, this is identical to the one that God uses as he speaks to Moses and identifies himself. Jesus is showing that he is, in fact, uh, the covenant Lord Yahweh of the Old Testament who's come to deliver his people. And he's revealed himself. Uh, uh, Jesus is not only walking uh, in God's stead, he has taken God's place. It is God himself become man and is before them. And they are completely amazed. And Mark adds, this is Peter's recollection, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts are hardened. You know, let the weight of that uh, fall on us because of all the people that we should identify in the Gospels, it's the disciples. Their hearts uh, were filled with unbelief. They were uh, hardened. And this is meant to unsettle us. Mark is expecting us as disciples to read this and respond. And he's raising this question, you know, do we actually see Jesus for who he is? Or is he simply who we want him to be, shaped by our expectations, our prejudices, our hopes, and our fears? The disciples will not trust Jesus. They won't understand uh, these, uh, these loaves until we get to chapter 8, when the Father reveals into their hearts and minds that Jesus is, in fact, uh, the Christ of God. And that points to uh, the need we all have for God to open our hearts and minds to give us insight and understanding. Uh, this is something only God can do. This is his sovereign uh, grace. Uh, and the text reminds us of our inability to actually understand and comprehend who Jesus is, and to understand spiritual uh, truth. And so this text is a summons to us uh, to put our faith in uh, Christ. Have you done that? Have you turned uh, to Christ and placed your uh, faith in him? Have you entrusted yourself to his power, abandoned uh, yourself to his abundant uh, blessing? This is not it's just something in theory. It's not just a matter of words. It's not a matter of just what you know. This is a matter of surrendering yourself uh, to him. We all, even those of us who have done that, need to pray as the apostle does, that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we would see more and more of who Christ is, that we'd be able to take in more and more of who he is. When you take time to be with him, do you ask for that? Do you say, Lord, I, I need to see more of you. I need my, my understanding opened up. I need you to illumine uh, for me from uh, scripture who you are. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only one. The disciples and the early church understood that this miracle was different than all the others. 
It's not only that it is the clearest revelation of Jesus echoing uh, Old Testament event after Old Testament event, but it is also about the ministry that Jesus is entrusting uh, to these men and through them to the church. We're meant to see the implications for the ministry of the church in this, and there's more than I'm going to uh, expound here this morning. But the disciples rightly recognize the need of the crowds. And Jesus uses this moment to test them. He's training them. Uh, But they fail to see these needs through the lens of kingdom power. And so they complain about what they lack, and Jesus focuses instead on what they possess. And isn't that often what churches do? We look at what we lack, we look at our limitations, and of course all churches have limitations. Uh, uh, all churches don't have all that they want. You may think, well, the really large church you know, over there has it all. They do not. Uh, they, they have more than you have, but they, have, they lack. They are not able to do all that they would like to do. And Jesus, you see, involves them. Uh, uh, it's their food. You know, they hadn't had anything to eat either. Um, they uh, are asked to take up and distribute uh, the food. Uh, and I'm sure that this was a very uncomfortable moment. Uh, for them. You know, they're taking a basket and they're thinking this is going to run out. You know, what about all these people who aren't going to get something? Uh, and um, uh, even the seating of the crowds and the other, one of the other gospels tells us they were actually involved in this process. They must have felt very uncomfortable. I don't know how long all that took, but it must have taken more than a few minutes. <laughs> and all this time, you know, they are, they are participating in this. Jesus gives thanks, and there are 12 basketfuls left over. That's one for each of them, in case they didn't see that they were involved in this. Jesus takes insufficient resources to meet the needs of a multitude. And this is a test for them, and it's instruction for them, and it is for us as well. For Jesus is going to ask them to do something that's even greater than this, something that's utterly, humanly impossible. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. These 11 men are to become a global movement. Now, I don't know what they were thinking when they heard those words. But in the Roman Empire was at least 60 million people at that point. 11 people to carry the message of Jesus, to uh, teach the, the content of Jesus' life teaching, to baptize and to train 60 million people. That's just the Roman Empire. Why, that's, that's astounding. And Jesus says this again and again to his followers at the end of each of the Gospels. He tells them that after explaining to them in Luke that 
all the Old Testament points to his suffering and his glory. He says, you are witnesses of these things. You will be witnesses to the rest of the world of these things. And then he promises them that they'll be clothed with power on high. In Matthew, he says, surely I will always be with you to the end of the age. Jesus is present with them uh, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is asking them uh, to do what they cannot do. And he asks his church in every time, in every place, every local church, until he returns to carry out this message, this mission, to join him in the meeting of human need. Now, Jesus knows your resources and my resources are limited. In fact, he has a better handle on it uh, than I do. Um, just, if you're not sure, you know, just go home uh, and tomorrow in the evening count everything in your house. Just take a complete inventory. Now, that's a, you have a lot of stuff in your house and you don't even actually probably know all that you have. But Jesus knows, and he knows it's finite. Um, and uh, he has sovereignly placed you where you live, where you work, where you go to the gym, uh, who you play tennis with. And he's placed this church sovereignly where he wants it. It's not in Chicago or Denver or in a little town in South Carolina or someplace you've never heard of in Mississippi. No, it's here at the intersection of uh, four counties outside the nation's capital. He's done that. And he is sufficient for all that he wants us to accomplish, all that he wants you to accomplish in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends, with the people you go to school with. He is sufficient. He is uh, willing uh, to join his sufficiency uh, to our inadequacy uh, to show compassion and satisfy the deepest of human needs. He will give all that he asks of us. The question is, will we bring all that we have to him? Or will we close our hearts to people? Will we uh, shut down compassion toward people and decide we have what we need from him? And, well, it's a free country. They can find it on their own. You see, Jesus does all these things out of compassion for these people, and he's showing them and he's showing us what he's called us to do, which is to offer ourselves and what we have to him and with compassion to move toward people, some of whom will respond to the message of the gospel. But if we never offer ourselves, if we're never willing to be inconvenienced, if we're never willing to open our homes, if we're never willing to share what we have with people, then we'll never see him take what we have and multiply it to feed a multitude. Let's pray. Gracious God, be pleased to fill our hearts, not with unbelief, but with belief. Soften them, make them like yourself.
Lord, help us uh, to take in what we have seen here today. For we pray in Christ's name.